All right, welcome to the Whack Attack podcast. Today we have Brooks Dollar on. Brooks is an owner of a company that does boat restorations, and specifically Chris Crafts. Is that correct? Chris Crafts, Rivas, Centuries. Nice. And so you started this business in about 2004. Mm-hmm. Is my date's correct there? That's right. Mm-hmm. And now, how did you get the idea to go into boat restoration? Um, I had done some restoration work on boats that I had for myself and uh, was really interested in. I was burnt out on uh, working in the, in the restaurant industry, which is what I had done up to that point. And, as, uh, a, as a chef, correct? That's right. I went yeah. to culinary school when I was 22 down in Louisiana, uh, Baton Rouge, and I um, cooked from there on out. You know, I was in different restaurants. We lived in Sun Valley, Idaho, and also lived in uh, Portland, Oregon. That's where, that's where I got into the boat restoration business. So now, do you ha- do you build like specialty barbecues too? Do you bring the culinary skills to sure the boat like restoration? To. No, I don't. I don't. But I uh, I do love to eat barbecued meat. Yeah. Well, we got a guy for you. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. do. We had an episode. Dave Guerra. He owns a Buckethead Barbecue. It's a a very popular food truck here in Northern California. Oh, nice. You start uh, restoring boats from being a chef. Okay, mm-hmm. so. Uh, that's very two di- two very different tracks. It how is. how did this happen? I was just tired of being uh, just being in the kitchen. You know, basically it was long hours being a chef. You're you're there for 12, 13, 14 hours a day, and a lot of times you're doing this you know for seven days a week for you know months at a time. So I was it was really burnt out on the kitchen, and I thought you know I'm going to do something else and. It was nice because the freedom of being able to work on the boats, you're outside a lot of times. And what I started doing in in Portland where we lived was it wasn't restoration right away. I was working with a a company that was um, basically um, a repair facility. So they did anything from uh, yachts that were, you know, 80 feet to a 17-foot ski boat. So I learned a lot of the different trades through, through that that company so you didn't necessarily like make the jump of starting your own business or being a chef you uh went and worked for another company learned Mm -hmm. the ropes everything else i think that's very similar to a lot of the experiences we have from other entrepreneurs who are here Uh, how long did you work there for i was there for about a year so i had started working there in 2003 somewhere thereabouts and i could see it was basically just um it was a guy who, who owned the company and there were four other shipwrights basically that worked there and that was that was fine. We had plenty of work, and there was always, you know, interesting work going on. There was some restoration. There was some sailboat work. There were, you know, installation of equipment, um, electronics, you know, basically everything you run across on a, on a boat. Um, and I could see that he was getting further and further away from being interested in, you know, he had been doing it for 25 years. The guy was, you know, he was 62. You know, he, was, he wanted to be retired. And I could see, you know, I'd go in in the morning and he would have all the estimates on his desk, you know, lined up. You could see there's all this work that he wasn't he wasn't actively chasing. You know, he was estimating it, some of it, but these were all just, you know, calls. The that passion were, wasn't there to make the money anymore. No, he just didn't care. He wanted to go play, and which is totally reasonable. You know, at that age, I wouldn't want to do it either, <laughs> really. So um, I, I kind of approached him and, and, and said, hey, I'd you know, like to take over if you, wanna, if you want to, you know, retire. So we worked out a, um, a deal, and, and I took over from him and, and basically bought the business. Did not, I didn't buy the building uh, that it was in. We had a 6,000-square-foot shop 
uh, that we we rented for next to nothing. I look back on it now, and it was just you know, I mean, we had two offices and a six thousand square feet of floor space, and I think we paid twenty three hundred bucks a month. You know, so. <laughs> in Tahoe? <laughs> no, it was in uh, Portland. Oh, Portland. Por- yeah. I'm sorry. We, yeah, go continue. We were yeah. just in Tahoe over the weekend. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so that worked out well. I, I kept the same in guys that were working there already. Uh, got rid of a couple, added a couple, and then from there we really just took off. I want to ask you a question about um, when you said you got rid of a couple. One of the things that I think um, is important um, – I, I, I don't think many people or anybody really is, is quite frankly as good at hiring because humans are easily fooled just kind of mm-hmm. by nature. Sure. And so we have to make a, an estimated guess based on, on who we see. And so once they get in the door and you've hired them, I think the best thing that we have to do as business owners is to assess the job performance and learn to fire somebody quickly if they're, what they were saying doesn't match what they're doing. Sure. And you recognize that you need to get rid of a couple of people. Can you talk to us about the characteristics that made you make the decision to say, hey, I want to fire Jack and Bob? Yeah, part of it wasn't so much their job performance. It was their attitude and the way that they would, um, you know, just not want to work or they didn't want they didn't want to do the job that I needed them to do. So that was that was pretty clear right away on. And part of it was resentment that, you know, I had been there a year. Some of these guys had been there for four or five years. And, you know, the new guy comes in and takes over. So, Well, the new guy to, saw the opportunity. Sorry well, for interrupting. I, I did, you know, and they also had the same opportunity. So they, but they didn't, and I think they wanted to, that was part of it, was um, it, two or three of the guys wanted to, but they could never work amongst themselves to make it work. They never had the balls to do to what do you it. did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. like, I'm just going to come out and say it. Yeah. You, you were there for a year, and you saw the forest through the trees, and you basically just came out and said, I'm going to stick my head on the chopping block because I want this, and I'm not going to let it fail. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. You know, I was 28, yeah. and I was like, well, I'm ready to jump into something. And, and any, ki- any kids at home at the time, or was it just uh, you? No life? kids. No yeah. kids. Topic of hiring um, and, and firing. Mm-hmm. You said the attitude was really poor for the people who were there that you got rid of. What about the people you replaced them with? Um, replaced them with, with, you know, people that I basically, uh, someone knew this guy and he would come in, uh, or someone else who was working in a different Marine facility would come in and, and that worked out really well. Yeah. Um, because especially the guy who was a, a worker at another facility, he was, he was really good and he was fast and was able to just jump in and, and, and go do, do what we needed to do. Minimal guidance. Oh yeah, minimal, yeah. minimal, and a couple of the guys were boat school guys from Port Townsend. So uh, there's a wooden boat school in Port Townsend, and uh, I think they have maybe a 18 month program that a lot of these these guys will go through. So they'll learn wooden boat construction um, systems, things like that. You said they did wood boats, they did restoration, they did sailboats, they did all this other stuff. Right? Did you take it into a specific area and niche it up? Well, not initially. Initially, I I stuck with what was going, you know, what what was working, you know, what we what we normally did, and, and then later on, I guess about three years in, I had the opportunity to buy a rigging business. So, a rigging business is um, is anything that uh, holds the masts up on the sailboats, all the all the wires, all the control systems for the sails. Um, so I was able to buy a machine um, that swedged the fittings on the ends. So uh, we started making standing rigging and running rigging and uh, doing control systems for sailboats. So 
I'm not a sailor, and I, and I definitely know Alan isn't either. Yar. Could you explain that one? Can you explain how that was beneficial for your business to us like we're five years old? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it just added another component of what we could do. Uh, so, Was that a highly desired component? It is. Yeah. Okay. And it's very specialized. So I was able to, luckily, I was able to, to train with a with a, a rigger who was well-known in the area who, his wife had died. Uh, she had a brain aneurysm. She's 49. And he he wanted to check out. So I was able to, you know, it was a tragedy for him. And I, you know, I hated it to happen. But, you know, he came to me and, and we were able to make something work uh, where he trained me for a year um, on all the equipment and all the rigging aspects uh for the sailboats and uh and then i bought his his equipment yeah mutually beneficial relationships Mm -hmm. that's that that is basically nature yeah fundamental law of nature so that made you the only player in town who could do the rigging there was one other yeah okay but i mean it's yeah that was it 50 50 chance you're getting the business yeah so can we can we fast forward a little bit so that was in portland obviously Mm -hmm. we're here in roseville california how did you get all the way here now (laughs) in 2014 um, my wife had been working with with her her father, who has done a lot of development for uh, commercial real estate here in uh, Sacramento, North Islands. Uh, he started out with um, rental units, um, residential, and then went on to to build uh, commercial industrial. So she's been managing that since 2013, and and really kind of that's how we ended up here. Well, let me rewind uh, in 2000 2008. You know, obviously things just fell apart and you had a luxury uh, you were in a luxury business yes the yeah. phone stopped ringing and so we you know i laid off everyone except for two guys and we just kind of just tried to make it work keep you know keep the doors open but there was nothing going on it was bleak at that time so in 2009 we decided to just go ahead and, and close the doors and i moved everything home and i just worked as a sole individual uh just a just a sole proprietor out of my garage i had a, a large three-car garage that I was able to set up my rigging equipment. Honey, you get the house, the garage, garage. go out the front door. It worked out great, actually. (laughs) So I just did a lot of rigging out of my garage. I just, you know, and because it it doesn't require a ton of space. I had a 60 foot long bench. So my garage was 60 feet. So that's what I needed to make the rigging. Yeah. Wait, you, how did you have a 60 foot deep three car garage? It was long. So 60 foot long. Yeah, well, oh, okay. I guess it was three. I say three, but it was it was it was, it was really more three, like six. Yeah, I, because I was days. thinking a three car garage is technically a ten by ten times six. No, well, this wasn't this wasn't a um, standard. St- yeah, standard. It had okay. been built as a the, actually the, the guy we bought the house from uh, had a hot tub business, and he oh, he built sweet. that as a showroom for yeah. his hot tubs. So. That's I mean that's pretty cool though, and I think that you know during that time frame, mm-hmm. the reason why our father was able to stay through business because he was always a one man show. He predominantly did a lot of finish work, mm-hmm. and so he had just never taken the risk to bring on employees or anything like that. And he was good all the way through because it was just always him the whole time, mm-hmm. you know. And so going back to that. Um, did that sort of give you like a sense of purpose, like reconnecting with the work that you were doing? It, it definitely took away the stress. Uh, you know, it was very stressful having the employees and just all the, all the things that go along with that. It's, it's, it's difficult to, to manage, you know, at one time we had seven people working there. And so that, that was difficult because I'm trying to, I'm, I'm still working myself and I'm also the person who's, who's getting the work. I'm, I'm selling the the jobs and 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 doing the invoicing and and ordering 
Yeah. So, so you, you didn't really ever get out of the owner operator role. No, we were never able to transition it from where I was able to step back and have it just run as its own. I was, I had to be there. Right. So I actually have a question around that topic. So, mm-hmm. um, while you were working out of your garage, obviously you can control the level of the quality of the craftsmanship of the work. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, when you had the employees. How were you handling the quality controls to make sure that the products that were coming out, I'm sorry, the work that was coming out was meeting the standards that you had for the business? I, I was very hands-on. I was involved with, with everyone. So I would, you know, the way my day would go is we'd get together in the mornings just like any other, you know, trade and, and kind of go through what we're working on for the day and, and who's doing what. And and these projects were ongoing. You know, some of these were two or three months long projects that would be, you know, not just installation of one piece of equipment. You know, a lot of times these boats are out of the water for, you know, a month at a time or or we're working on them in the marina or they're in our shop. So they can be they can be long term projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was how I, I did it. I was every day I was with with the guys who were working basically just doing laps. Just very know. hands on. Take us back to the timeline, the story for sure. how we go from there to mm-hmm. Sacramento. So from there, I was at another yard. Uh, it was actually the largest yard in our area. It was our main competition. And they they brought me on as as a uh, shipwright. I was the lead shipwright for that yard. So there what is four, what is a shipwright? A shipwright is a um, is a person who basically knows how to do everything for all of the all of the different trades in the in the marine industry. So okay. um, and, and then I was so I was in charge of the woodworkers. I was in charge of the painters, uh, coordinating their work. So there were 45 employees at that place. So it was, it was a larger operation than what we had. And they have a much nicer facility. Yeah, so you it was were, on 10 acres. So you were pretty busy then. I was pretty busy. Now, But you're still doing the boat restoration right now? I, at, at myself at this time? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, now you're back here and mm-hmm. you're in uh, Northern California. Sure. And so now you, um, you do this all yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so I would assume that maybe you take um, you, you pick and choose the projects that you want to work on, the ones that you probably enjoyed. Yeah, there's there's definitely things that I don't want to do, and uh, and I, you know, really at this point, I I really just want to you know fix a plank or um, have hardware removed and rechromed, you know, varnish. Um, I don't want to do any engine work or anything to do with any fuel systems, anything like that. So, so you yeah. just focus in on the restoration. The restoration. Yeah. yeah, the restoration. Ideally, I would replace, you know, replace bottoms um, on, on you know, Chris Crafts. And because uh, a lot of them were built, they call it Carvel planking. So the planks are built, you know, the mahogany planks are side by side. And what happens over time is the, you know, they swell every time they get in the water. So when they, they put them in, they leak for a day or two. And then the wood swells up. And over time, it the fasteners, you know, basically pull this pull the wood away, and it becomes more like a basket case. Uh, and so over time, they need to be either replaced the bottoms or, you know, repaired. So what's happened in the you know since we've gotten epoxy and all these, you know, magic goos, we're able to to change out the old Carvel planking with marine plywood and fiberglass, and so you end up with a much a much better bottom. So it's oh, yeah. you, you don't have to worry about it it leaking. Yeah. So what what's the difference between the new marine materials and the wood? Obviously, one is engineered, but what's the, what's the difference with those for shelf life or not shelf life, but how long they last and mm-hmm. the problems that they solve? Uh, pro- just the problem is there's no water intrusion. There's no water coming in. For, there's no swelling the boat. You don't have to wait for it to swell up before you can use it. You can just 
put it in the water and go. Wow, that's really interesting because like we grew up on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, family had boats and other things, jet skis, houseboat, all that fun stuff. And every time you see a Chris craft, you know, go down the water, you think, man, that's that's a really nice looking boat. I had no clue if that was an original wood boat. You had to actually let it mm-hmm. be in the water and let it swell up. And when it swells up, then you, they probably run a bilge pump the whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> and you have to really keep an eye on it because they'll sink. You know, it happens. It happens a lot. You know, someone, the boat's been out for a few years, hasn't been in the water. People who don't know will put it in the water and, and think that they're going to go put it on the mooring ball. And it needs the battery dies or, or it can't keep up. The bilge pump can't keep up or it gets clogged and they'll sink. Really? Yeah. So now have Damn. you ever been involved in like oh, a yeah. recovery process? Yes. <laughs> Tell me about a that. A couple of times. We had an interesting project that was a 42 foot commuter style boat. Basically it's, they built it in uh, Lake union up in Seattle. They built a bunch yeah, of no these. Yeah, I know where it's at. We so, had Alan's bachelor party there. Oh, yeah. Did you? No kidding. We watched the yeah. boat races and stuff there too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Small world. But they, there was one of these down in, in Portland that had been built in 1946 or you know long. It was old. Uh, it was uh, Port Orford Cedar was the planking, and it was um, it needed to have the stem replaced. So the the piece at the very bow of the boat, very structural, mm-hmm. is where the planks are let into, and um, it needed to be replaced below the waterline. So we were hauling it out uh, at a at basically a using a trucking company, a semi truck would pull up and. They usually have a hydraulic trailer, so they they come up and they have these hydraulic pads that fit around the boat, and they can adjust and put the keel blocks under the, the truck and and move this thing out of the water and into our shop. But this time he showed up with a different type of trailer, and it was more of a a V bunk, really long bunk trailer. And he, um, you know, basically pulled down the boat ramp, and we drove this thing on the trailer, and he started pulling out, and it just couldn't support the weight and so it it basically fractured a bunch of ribs and put a big hole in one side and he immediately backed it back into the water oh and it sunk right at the i mean just right there at the boat ramp it was terrible uh so we had to recover that holy crap it was it was awful that's a happy boat owner by the way (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that was not those were not good times so you know of course everyone sues everyone so we had to had to go through a lawsuit with that, and and uh, we 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 came out on top with it. Yeah, I was going to say it's the trucking company's fault, right? But yeah. they just initially the the boat owner sued us and the trucking company, so it was, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they, they have to they have to hold somebody responsible. Yeah, yeah you were just kind of caught you know, caught in the crossfire. So you you know have a luxury business, and then you go back to being a, a, a you know basically an owner operator, single mm-hmm. one man show, right? Um, you know that that has a lot of benefits and doing that and i think that if you're on instagram or these other places you're looking up all these motivational quotes and everybody's like you need to make money and you need to do this and you need, it's all about money 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 by going the route of you know doing the work yourself and being an owner operator what other areas of your life has that led to some improvements with like travel or being able to spend time with your family? Like where have those other benefits come from? Sure. Well, it's, you know, it's freedom. You know, you can, you can work when you, you want to work, you know, if it's, if it's midnight, you know, and you want to put some time in or, you know, if you want to take the week off or two weeks or a month or whatever it is, it's as long as you're able to, to have the, have the means to do it, then you have, as long as you don't book yourself that and that's something too is you can really 
put yourself in a situation where you're so booked up that you can't do anything. And, and of course, it's cyclical. Everyone wants their boat uh, in June, right? Yep. So, <laughs> How did we get from Portland, where you had a ridiculously deep three-car garage, <laughs> to Sacramento, California? That was it. So uh, I, my wife and I packed up the two kids, and, and we said we're going to go ahead and jump into this. And um, like I said, she was working with her, her dad doing the property management. Mm-hmm. He was getting ready to go on a mission for the Mormon church, he and his, his wife. So they're they're older, and uh, the Mormon Church. A lot of the older people will will do a, a year and a half mission uh, somewhere in a different country. So they were actually going to Cambodia. So and that's not you though. That's not me. Yeah, no, that that's my in laws. And so that was them. Uh, I was talking about the Mormon part. Oh no, yeah. that's. So we we ended up getting down here because of that reason. Uh, and you know he was going to be gone for a year and a half. He needed you know boots on the ground, which was you know my wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you brought the business here. How'd you go mm-hmm. about the geographical change of still being able to get leads and business and everything else? You know, it's funny enough. I, I worked with uh, yacht brokers in, in Portland who I would actually work with them down here in, in San Francisco. Uh, like they would need Discovery a boat. Bay folks? Uh, no, they. it was more of um, over in, do you know where KKMI is, the boatyard? That's probably not. It's off of Cutting Boulevard and... Mm. That's Richmond. Richmond. It's Richmond. That's where I lived. Yeah, that's right. That was where I initially started when I came down. I thought, you know, I'll probably work in the bay, but it was such a hassle. We had a boat as well. You know, obviously we had a sailboat, a 36-foot sailboat that we had sailed. Kind of transition there from... You had it in Portland? We had it... uh, Actually, we had it in Mexico. So we, we had bought that boat in Mazatlan and actually brought the family down and sailed, sailed around, uh, you know, Puerto Vallarta and Mazatlan. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. That's a good time. I, you know, I'd have to check the, you know, the, the sea because mm-hmm. I do not do good in a rough sea. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Alan got some experience yeah. with that. Oh. So I, uh, you know, if, it, if it's something like, you know, I, I wouldn't say easy sailing because sailing is not easy, mm-hmm. but if the seas are relatively calm, you know, it's definitely something that I would be willing to do. There's some great days, but you know, when you're on there full time, you're, you, you know, you're at the mercy of the weather. You you don't know what's, you know, and it depends on where you are. Like we got caught in a major storm. We were a hundred miles offshore at this tiny island called Isla Isabella. And it's just basically a rock, you know, it's a hundred miles from, from Puerto Vallarta and a uh, hundred miles from Mazatlan. So it's, it's way out there. Um, we, we really got a beating on that one, but you know, you're, you're out there, and you can't go anywhere. There's nowhere to go. Wait, so and hold and on. you don't who have the United States Coast Guard either. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> who was we? Uh, me and my wife and two kids. <laughs> oh, tell us about that. Uh, so we were anchored out, uh, just enjoying, you know, it's beautiful, sandy, you know, beach, and it's just this gorgeous area. There's all these frigate birds that nest on this island. So we were out hiking around, and there's it's uninhabited. So you're... You know, it's a very small island, and there's only two places you can anchor there. There's one that's a, a unprotected sandy bottom, and there's one that has more of a cove, but it has a really rocky bottom. But it has, it, it eats anchors. So a lot of times you can get your anchor fouled in there, and, you know, you can't, you can't get, get it, it back. Yeah, exactly. So that, that, we were not in a good spot to begin with. We were anchored in the, in the place where, you know, in the cove. Uh, so we... We were out hiking around, and you kind of see it building throughout the day. You know, down there, you can see these storms start to, like, the 
You could no, just you know, know it's going to be. Was it considered tropical where that island was at? Yeah, I would say it's tropical. It's, you it's, could see them, the storms building if you've ever done like the Costa Rica, Hawaii's, yeah. Bali's. You just exactly. kind of see it starting to happen. Well, and you know, having grown up in Mississippi, I know you know you see these clouds it's starting to form, and you know you know it's going to be a big one. And so we hopped on the boat, and it was like five o'clock in the evening. We took off, and I figured we're probably safer you know, at sea than, than we were anchored in, in this small cove. Uh, so we, we, we took off and, and, um, about 30, 30 minutes, an hour later, we just got hit with just these, you know, frontline squall, just 45 knots of wind, just, and, and basically we did that for mm, 10 hours, you know, just, uh, tethered into the boat. And, Holy shit. Yeah. So how white were your hands <laughs> at the end of that because you're thinking like what, what's going through your mind you have your wife and your two kids and you're sure. sailing through a, a gnarly storm right yeah we were just i was thinking let's stay away from land <laughs> you know we're we're okay in this in the in the sea the problem is there is it's well you you have uh, currents that run down the coast of mexico and so if you have wind that opposes them uh, a lot of times they'll stack the waves so you'll get these very steep choppy waves and you know you'll get 10 foot you know pinnacles basically and so you you just there's no way to you can't just set sail and just get on one tack and and it's go that route and you, ride it you yeah. can't because it's there's the winds and the swirling and it's come from different directions so it's it's just very miserable you know? and for people who aren't sailors could you explain tacking to them uh it's just basically one you're on one uh, starboard or port tack so you're sailing from one on one to the other so you're just it's it's just a term terminology of 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 going on one direction right because that's how you catch the wind correct mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah. perfect yeah you can't sail dead into the wind you have to be it's a zigzag pattern exactly. we are, yeah. we're america's cup fans oh there you go so sure. you know we're familiar with the terms but for some people who might not be mm-hmm. you know so these waves how tall do you think the swells were uh 10 feet yeah yeah, we had and now, consistent how do your kids describe the story? That's what I want to know. My daughter, I'm sure, would would describe it. You know, she was probably pretty terrified because you know we we drugged my son, we we gave him Dramamine and and got him in. We, we have what's uh, it's just basically what's called a lee a lee cloth. So it's it's a cloth that um, is connected to two two bulkheads and it makes a very small bed, so you can't you can't be ro- rolled out basically. So you just you you. You get tucked in and, and hunker down. So uh, we did that with him. And then our daughter was, she was also in there with him. And I think she was 11 and he was, he was four. Okay. So she was old mm, enough to, five, to help herself, but he was yes, not quite. He was not quite. Yeah. So we just, you know, just kind of got through it. I was, it was nerve wracking. It was, um, it was not a fun experience <laughs> at all. Damn. So when Damn. you finally get to land, is this mm-hmm. before you moved to Sacramento? It was. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's come back up to this to Sacramento. So mm-hmm. you set up shop. Where did you set up shop at? I uh, set up shop at my in-laws' house. So they have a large uh, garage um, carport area as well. So there's a, a total of probably 1,200 square feet, 1,300 square feet. Garage space? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. For the makers of the world, they're yes. like, hallelujah. <laughs> And I also had a 40-foot container that we brought uh, and had things in. So you just had it shipped down? Yeah, I actually bought it here, had it placed. Oh, sweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... You, and then you start, so you start working with the brokers and everybody else. Yeah. And you, so I'm you, doing some jobs then, decommissioning, uh, you know, things that they need to have moved. So when I say de- decommissioning, that's 
taking the taking the pulling the mast off, um, taking all the rigging off of the mast, um, getting it ready for shipping for trucking, uh, getting the boat ready for trucking. So it's uh, taking everything apart uh, on the deck of the boat and and getting it ready to. And uh, how common is that? Because we like you'll see sometimes boats on semi trucks when you're mm-hmm. driving or you're going somewhere. How common is it for uh, sailboats to be shipped? It's it's pretty common. It's it depends on where they're trying to. You know, if someone buys a, a boat in you know in Virginia, they're most likely not going to sail it down. They're going to have it tr- trucked to the west coast. Yeah, because you're going down through the Panama Canal yeah. and then on over all the way, and then that that sail back up from Panama to California is is not you know that's that's up upwind. So you're it's not a a fun sail. People don't usually go that direction. Yeah, and. Uh, so you've been doing that, that was, you know, about 10 years now that you've been here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we talked about the fact that you did, didn't, didn't add on any employees mm-hmm. and that had allowed you to spend more time with the wife and kids and hopefully not sailing through 10 foot swells in the <laughs> middle of a storm. Right. So, uh, your, you were telling us before we got started that you had done a really awesome trip with your son, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and this is sort of leading into it, right? Like this, right. the business that you own and operate, like this is the benefit of not being huge and everything. You, sure. you have a lot of flexibility. Can you tell us about that trip you just took to Louisiana with your son? Yeah, yeah, it was great. We, uh, we took off. This was last year, last summer, once he, he got finished with school. Um, we basically went to Park City straight from here and then... Did some mountain biking in Deer Valley, and we played uh, played a couple of courses there, and uh, and then made our way down to St. George in Southern Utah and played played a few courses. So our mo was we would take part of the day and drive. You know, we drive four or five hours, and then we go play eighteen holes, and then find somewhere to camp. So we pretty much did that every every day, and until we got to Texas, and then you know Texas, you just want to get. You just want to get through there. You want some AC. Or yeah, you want to get AC. the hell out of there. Exactly. <laughs> but we went over to Colorado and, and came down through New Mexico, and, and it was fun. It was great did you trip. go, uh, what part of, how did you get through Colorado? Did you go 70 through? We, yeah, we went through Durango and uh, came came down that way. Oh, you it went was through great. Durango? Yeah. yeah. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful area. So the, I lived in Denver for two years, and then when we drove back, I'd never actually driven 70 uh, basically, like near the Utah Colorado border, mm-hmm. and the canyon drive through there is the probably one of the coolest drives I've ever seen in the United States. Where you drive through the canyon and you have the river flowing with you oh, right yeah. before you get to Utah. Just you said that, and I was like, that the memory and image popped back into my head. It's so, like an hour of driving through Thunder Mountain if you've ever been to Disneyland. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. You did it with me. Shout out! Yeah. Thank you for drive, flying out and flying my stuff back with me. Nice. Um, Getting back to your story with your son, so you guys skate through Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Where's the next golf course or mountain bike? We, oh, there's no more hills. So no we're not more hills. Yeah. Anymore. So we played um, we played a course that's called Tour 18, and that's outside of Dallas, and that that has um, all the iconic holes from all the different golf courses in the United States. So it has uh, the last three of Augusta. Uh, it has you know I mean all the the Island Green on the TPC. I mean we we we. We played that was that was a good one. That was a fun course, and then we made it down to Mississippi, uh, where my parents live, and they live in a place called Natchez. It's right on the right on the river, so it's right uh, where Louisiana makes the boot. So you cross you cross the bridge, you're in Louisiana. On the other side, you're in Mississippi. Yeah, I was about to ask you because you you grew up in Miss. Or, I'm sorry, Louisiana, correct? I grew up in Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah, Mississippi. same spot. Yeah, same mm-hmm. spot. Yeah. Now, your parents were they entrepreneurial? They were. Yeah, they had. 
they had uh, my dad had a couple auto parts stores, uh, CarQuest, and one was in Napa, and then. I kind of grew up working in those stores, and then uh, my my grandmother actually and and aunts and uncles also had different restaurants. Uh, so, um, my parents ended up opening up a, a restaurant with my aunt and and a steakhouse place. So Hence for you, the culinary. So mm-hmm. for you as a, a kid, you had always kind of ha, had you always seen working as something that you need to create for yourself or a job that you can go get from somebody else? I, yeah, just something you would do for yourself. You know, I just watched my parents and my mom, you know, she she didn't she didn't graduate from high school. And then later on in life, she decided she was going to go to nursing school. She went and got her GED and went through nursing school and actually ended up getting a, a Ph.D. Uh, and she taught nursing, you know, throughout her, the rest of her career. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, is she, I'm assuming, is she, uh, um, God, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. My wife's an RN, but there's an She's N- a nurse NP, practitioner. NP, mm-hmm. yes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so now the travel that you did with your son, mm-hmm. you know, being in Mississippi, everything else, being around entrepreneurs and the restaurants, that's sort of maybe what led you into culinary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is there anything else in your life that you feel like had been really fundamental to allowing you to be an entrepreneur or your ways of thinking? I didn't like working for someone else. I did that, you know, earlier on in life and, and just really did not like that, uh, the way that, that felt. And, you know, you, you're so limited with what, you know, what you, you can do. You are. And if, if anybody comes on the podcast and they says, I, or they say, I worked for somebody for a year and I asked them if I could take over their business. Like you had an eye for it. Sure. Right. Sure. So you mm-hmm. definitely knew that there was something there that working for somebody else and just sort of, you know, saying, Hey, I'm fine. Like working as you need me to work. And then I check out that just wasn't you. And it never has been. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah, I didn't enjoy it. it was... And, and so you did your trip to Mississippi. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you do anything on the way back? We did not really do anything, you know, over, we did more, more golf, you know, basically same, same trip in reverse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we did the same thing. We went to Florida and stayed down there for a little while and then uh, came back. We played some golf in Florida and just absolutely melted. It was, it was ridiculously hot down there. Yeah. yeah. I could imagine humidity. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. was July, you know, end of July. Where'd you play? Uh, we stayed in a place called, um, it's near Pensacola. So it was, it was, uh, in that area, I don't even remember the name of the golf course we played. It wasn't anything special. It was just a. Well, a lot of the tour players live in Jupiter. Jupiter, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, East Coast, I think. Yeah, yeah. We were we were in the Panhandle. Yeah, yeah. and I was about to say because like you know it gets gnarly hot down there. Oh, it's and humid. It's, crazy. it's, it's like, so bad. You take a shower, you get out of the shower, you feel like you're still in the shower. Well, that's what we call the air conditioning down there. You know, you go outside and you get you get the, the high water mark, the the tide ring. You just oh. you just sweat. It's it's. Um, <laughs> It's un- <laughs> and really that just cools you off. It looks terrible, but you know you're. You're like <laughs> I'm a ha- I'm happy as a clam right now. <laughs> That's I got right. a built in AC. So you guys go back the same way. You play more golf. You mm-hmm. come back, and you come back to the house you have just built. You yes. want to talk to us a little bit about the process of building your own home? Sure. Yeah. We we uh, we built a, what they call an additional dwelling unit. So that was uh, my in laws have five acres right there in Rockland, and we were. We were living not far from them and thought, you know, let's see if we can build a place there that's small. We'll go ahead and sell our house. We had equity in the place and thought we'll sell it and, you know, have some have some uh, mortgage-free living and just kind of sock away the money. And uh, that's that was the initial idea. Of course, you know, 
it ends up being a little bit more expensive than than what we had initially thought. But always when you build. And always. how old are the kids right now? Uh, my daughter is twenty. She'll be twenty one uh, end of the month. Son's nineteen son now. Is, he's seventeen. Seventeen. Mm-hmm. And okay. so are are they still living with you in this house? No, no. Our daughter's down in San Luis Obispo. She goes to school down there, and then um, great spot by the way oh, to go man, to school. Love it. We were down there last week. It was great. Slow yeah. in Santa Barbara. They're they're pretty much conjoined by a thirty minute freeway drive. Yeah. Um, that place is cool. It is. It yeah. is. We love we love to go down and visit. So she she's probably a loves it. Oh yeah. Well, actually, she's a senior now. She just started working with Caltrans um, this summer, so we'll see. Working the grind, forty that, hours a week. That's awesome. Yeah. So the ADU you had built, this was like you guys are sort of starting to become empty nesters, right? I I, I dare to ask. You know, was this a midlife crisis thing? I wouldn't like say midlife crisis. I think we just saw that we we wanted to go ahead and and just you know basically try to transition out of you know we had i wouldn't say it was a it wasn't a, a big house we had a 2800 square foot house before and we were going to just just downsize you know 1200 square feet is what our adu um, maximum was yep uh, but what we did was we built it really tall we have the peak is 24 feet in in our house so we smart so it feels bigger it feels bigger and we we actually had a attic space that we once we get the final permit we tore down the walls up there and, and added a spiral staircase so it added an additional almost 600 square feet upstairs. <laughs> yeah. awesome yeah. awesome so we ended up with 1800 but I that's ho- still I, an attic right yeah right yeah. it's still yeah. an attic yeah we're not we're not admitting any guilt here it's still no, an it's attic, still an attic. And it's it just is. an attic without a door that's right yeah yeah and you did owner builder on this correct uh yeah my father-in-law helped me he you know obviously he's been building for a long time so he he was able to Kind of uh, plug in um, uh, someone who um, Scott's worked with quite a bit, uh, Scott Hinky or Eric Hinky, and he was able to um, build the frame for us, and and then we went through and did the rest of the work. Basically, I acted as a general contractor. I was able to go through and and get electrical. Go through all the permitting processes, oh, yeah. get everything run, oh, figuring yeah. out UTB University. I'm assuming um, that and and my my father-in-law, he just you know kind of would point me in the right direction. Hey, this is this is where you need to go next because he'd done so much construction, so oh, he got was it. he was well well aware of what needed to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's always good to have resources around you, and mm-hmm. then you know some people are going to be like, well, you know, my um, I would never live with my in-laws or something like that. And mm-hmm. I think to myself, a lot of the issues I see like out in society are from at least a lack of family ties or a lack of being around family or a sense of community. You know, I, I like that. And personally speaking, like my, my in-laws and my parents, I think it'd be really cool at some point in time to, you know, um, mm-hmm. especially as we start having kids and, you know, grandkids are running around, we got to grow up around our grandparents. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be really cool to have like a little family compound. And some people, I mean, they might not like it, but I, I feel like I would really get to enjoy that. And especially if you had your own house, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of the big what, deal. It what? is nice, but on the other hand, there is, you know, you, there's the, the the invitations for dinner. You always feel a little bit obligated to to maybe, you know, not have every meal uh, together, but there there's that, you know, and there's always the they don't feel like it's an intrusion to just walk in the house, you know? So it's, it's, there's those things that even though we're separate in, in a dwelling, we're, you know, still a little bit almost like roommates. Uh, yeah. That's, in that way. that's an interesting, I, I wrote down a note of like, okay, with the compound living, Alan and I had a conversation on the way home from golf yesterday and two days ago. And it was basically, 
we want we realize that having family and your immediate support system around you is beneficial just not in the same house mm-hmm. and now i'm going to say that just not in the same plot as well Alan <laughs> <laughs> mentioned the baja ha ha for people who have never even been on a sailboat they're definitely not going to know what that is can sure. you explain it's that? A, it's a rally uh basically goes from uh, san diego to uh, cabo san lucas so there's probably I think we had 70 or 80 sailboats um, that that basically sail a route, you know, and they stop along the way. Uh, Did you have any leadership role in the Baja or were you no. on somebody's I was boat just, or I were you was on your crew, own boat? I was crew on a boat. Uh, both had come down from Seattle, and my my friend actually had helped him take that boat down. He had his captain's license, uh, so he helped the owner take the boat down from Seattle, and then I, I hopped on in San Diego. And you did what? Uh, we fished and uh, had a great time. <laughs> okay, so we you sailed. I, I, I helped him sail the boat. Okay. There were, there were, there was, you were decking. He it. and, and uh, two other, well, one other guy, so there were two crew. All right, and you yeah. fished and caught your own fish uh, and cooked we, it right there. Absolutely. The best have, seafood you can get. Uh, would you recommend it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. The boats have to be able to maintain a, um, a minimum speed, I think, of five knots. Uh, so it's, it's pretty slow. It's mellow. You, you're, you leave in the morning at a certain time, and then the boats filter in. That's each each leg is about two days, uh, uh, three days of sailing till you get to to the next next anchorage. It's just checkpoint sailing. Yeah, okay. and, and, how- and and you mentioned if you come down from California to Mexico, you don't go back up because it's a hard sail. Right. Yeah. It's that's not so usually the direction. If seventy to ninety of these boats go down to Mexico, what happens to all these boats? <laughs> a lot of them sit in the uh, sit in the yard in uh, San Carlos or in La Paz, or uh, a lot of people just only make it as far as as Cabo. Um, and then, so what do they do? Do they sell the boats in Mexico? They s- yeah, they sell them in Mexico. They'll get to Mazatlan or Puerto Vallarta, and then and sell sell the boats. So, so, so you're telling me the junkyard of sailboats is Mexico? Absolutely. Yeah, you can get <laughs> screaming deals in Mexico on a sailboat if you guys want a boat. <laughs> San, San Carlos. Okay, but how so, would so, you get so, it back so, up here? <laughs> Well, you don't. You just keep it there. So, uh, or you could bring it up. I mean, you could have a captain bring it up. I once you're once the boat's in the destination, if it continues to go further south, is it even more of a junkyard? Can you still come back up, or is it just that channel between like San Diego and? Because at this point, yeah. we're talking Peru. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it's it it's really between Cabo San Lucas and uh, Puerto Vallarta is is where the deals are, and in the Sea of Cortez. The like I said. Uh, Guaymas, San Carlos. So that's that's where you got your boat, I'm assuming, when you said, we have a boat down in Mexico, Yeah, we right? picked it up in Mazatlan. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Mm, yeah, I have a brother-in-law who just travels the world uh, climbing, and he's, he's done it for years. He's kept his life really simple. He, he doesn't have any kids. Uh, and he just, he has the best life. I mean, he's in Spain right now uh, climbing, but he, he's climbed all over the world. He, just, he has gear, you know, that he leaves and different countries and ropes and harnesses and everything. So Okay, so you answered my question in my head that nobody else knows about, which is free climber or yeah. He does a lot of that too. Okay. Yeah, oh, but he's he's uh free yeah, salt. He definitely does uh um you know, he travels just travels the world climbing. That's his main I think it, it keeps him it keeps him sane. You know, he, so he's got to be one of those guys that goes and changes the light bulbs at the top of those like thousand foot tall towers and gets paid thirty grand like that. It's right up his alley. Be. It's right up his alley. Yeah. yeah, but he's he's done a lot of the half dome and you know he does a lot of the big wall climbing and uh, where he's up there for two or three days at a time. You know he's never had any interest in in 
you know, publicizing himself doing these things. But yeah, he's in the, you know, the groups of people that you see, you know, they're making movies about or whatever. He's, he's right there with them climbing and he knows, he knows all these, you know, all these. Like the guy that did the free solo one about in Yosemite. Yeah. Yep. He knows. Yeah. So I think he's from Cordova. He's local. Yeah. There's so many people that they don't need a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's a quality message to offer to anyone who's listening that doesn't want to, you know, start a nine figure business or start a business and turn it in nine figures. It's like, there's more to life sometimes than just money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your time is very valuable, you know, and yep. that's, and that's something that it's, how do you want to spend it? I mean, I've spent my time working. I spent many years where I spent, you know, hours and hours and hours a day, you know, there was a time, you know, I probably spent 10 years where I worked, you know, 70 hours a week or whatever. It was just, I realized that was not what I wanted to do with my time, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't something I was going to do. So it, was, it worked out that I was able to make it in the in the way that that I you know that I have it now. Like, what's your favorite place that you traveled? Because I value your opinion and like maybe do's or don'ts or any like you know caveats to it. Did quite a bit of traveling. Uh, you know, really liked Asia. That was that was fun. We went to Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, and really liked it over there i would definitely go back to thailand and, and vietnam cambodia was was a little different um just because you know they they really didn't have they didn't have the infrastructure for tourism you know set up there they're still when was this recovery uh, this was four years ago five years ago and uh what part of thailand oh gosh we went we flew into phuket and then just kind of around that general area we skipped bangkok and went out to the coast and and just really Spent some time the Cimalan Islands. Uh, we were out there, and it was beautiful. Love it. Love Thailand. They're they're the nicest people. Um, it, I I would agree. It was uh it was, it was a little different. Mm-hmm. I I did a trip through the Pacific, uh, Singapore and Thailand. We went to Singapore first and went to Thailand second. Um, and that was a little bit of a downgrade if you've ever been to Singapore, mm-hmm. but the tropical aspect and what was going on in Thailand was just as fun to me as as Singapore was, but the people there were ridiculously friendly. There you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. India was, uh, I, I've never been to India. It's my wife wants to go. I, I just don't have the. Dodge the trip. Yeah, I don't, I don't Dodge really want to go. It's just too many people over there. What way, what part does she want to go? She doesn't even know. <laughs> she just knows she wants to go to India. Was yeah. there anything specific about the culture that really was attractive to you? Hmm. I just loved how friendly they were. I loved their food. Um, the food, oh yeah, the my food goodness. was just amazing. Yeah, it was so good. Um, you know, and just just they're kind people. You know, they really are. I felt like they were genuinely, you know, looking out for you. They weren't trying to rip you off. Vietnam was different. I felt like they were they were trying to rip you off everywhere you went. You know, they wanted everything was the only uh, two you know English words they knew were you buy, you buy, you buy, you buy. You know, that was what we got everywhere. And they were constantly doing things like taking your scooter and hiding it from you or um, you know, just doing things like that. So you had to pay them to, to get it back. So medical or like if you got sick or a sinus mm-hmm. infection or anything mm-hmm. else like that, do you have any tips or tricks, you know, getting around that in foreign countries? Their med- well, in Mexico, at least their medical is great down there. It's super inexpensive. Uh, my a wife lot of it's o- OTC, right? Yeah. You could just yeah. go to the pharmacy and get whatever mm-hmm. you want. That's yeah. why a lot of these, that's why a lot of people will drive from San Diego, absolutely down into Mexico, buy a bunch of over-the-counter drugs or that are pharmaceuticals, and drive back up into California because you can't get a lot of those things without a prescription. 
Well, and medical services. Like my wife broke her tooth, and she went to the dentist, and yeah. it was it was great. This guy made you know basically made her a um, um, a retainer with a tooth on it uh, that day within you know two hours of being in the dentist's office. It was fifty bucks, and then. That got her through. You know, she didn't look like a pirate the rest of the time. <laughs> yar, on a sailboat. Yar, exactly. To the, to the sailboat tooth. junkyard. Right. And, you know, until she got home and was able to get an implant. And, yep. and it was, I mean, just dirt cheap for them to, to, to do the work down there. And it was modern. You know, the, the dentist office was, I mean, the guy had gone to school in the United States. So. But uh, let's go lightning round and we'll wrap it up here. Mm-hmm. Coffee or tea? Mm, coffee. Favorite sport? Think about that one. Do I have to choose just one? No, I. Uh, if I sport that I'm going to play is probably golf. Sport that I'm going to watch is going to be maybe surfing. S- oh, all right. right. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. So, favorite type of boat? Mm. Sailboat. One place you could go to in the world, and you have to stay there. Mm, that's a tough one. For how long? The rest of your life. The rest of your life. <laughs> mm. Probably Thailand. Thailand. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. I, I got one for you. When's the only time it's acceptable to not put your shopping cart back? Never. <laughs> You're the man. <laughs> You're the man. Oh, and with that, I think we're about wrapped up and done. Brooks, thank you very much yes, for coming on yeah, and sharing thanks. Your, thanks for having me. your journey and your story. Obviously, you're connected to producer yes, Scott. Yes. Um, you know, we are uh, moving to a new office a couple doors over. Um, you know, so when we have that all set up, you're gonna have to come back and visit us. We're doing a bunch more uh, studio stuff and shooting around, and there might even be a golf simulator in there. Oh, so, right on! Yeah, you have to come over and smack some balls with us. And yes. so, with that, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next time.